Did you know that this podcast is a part of the Jayzo Modcast Podcast Network? Chances are, if you enjoy this show, you'll find other great podcasts on the network, too. The Jayzo Modcast Network offers you a choice of shows seven days a week, starting with Monday. Join Rebecca C. Lofgren, Aaron Illick, and David K. Montoya in Seeing Red. The trio dive deep down the rabbit hole each week with a combination of geek and weird news. Then on Tuesdays, join the boys from the Great White North, Mike Lutz, Rob Bellamy, and Jason Beckard in the movie Madhouse as they bring you everything Hollywood and more. On Wednesdays, Reaper Rick's Tree Frog Expose Cafe, where he crosses the line of limits as he gives us news that is unforgettable and personal views that you'll definitely remember as well. Spend Thursdays with Jim Bennett and Nick McKelvey as they join forces in American Fat Ass Podcast to talk about various topics from news, sports, to their personal lives, all the while with a humorous slant in an unapologetic fashion. Fridays, Rob Bellamy is joined with Mike Lutz as they jump in the Wayback Machine to explore the archives of the JZO Modcast to give you three hours of audio entertainment in Flashback Fridays. Saturdays, join JZO Modcast founder David K. Montoya as he explores the world for a single of Who's the Boss? Then Sundays, finish the week with What We Think with hosts S. Sadie Burbank and David K. Montoya as they tell us exactly what they think about pop culture, celebrities, and the world at large with a ton of vulgarity mixed in for good measure. The Jaisel Modcast Podcast Network. We've got what you want seven days a week for free. Listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher or like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And don't forget to check us out at jaisalmon.com slash jaisalmodcast. And now, enjoy this free Jaisal Modcast show. Welcome to Seeing Red. Hey, boys and girls, welcome to Scene Red. I'm David K. Montoya. All right, kids, this is what's going on. Um, believe it or not, I, I, there's no real big reason why. Um, in fact, uh, tomorrow, Rebecca and Aaron are going to come over and we're going to record another episode of Scene Red. But check this out. Um, I have all our podcasts downloaded on an external hard drive. It's like a, a one terabyte hard drive thing is freaking huge and as i was going through you know putting the old episodes on the backup drive i came across this one podcast and the podcast just said with russo now i turned it on and i played it and i was like you know listening to it i in fact i listened to the whole it was like 59 minutes long and I was trying to think of the podcast. Now, I honestly don't even remember this particular show. Um, in fact, it, it cuts in right where I introduce myself. So it doesn't reference any show or anything. I think what it was, was I was like editing 
the podcast because there's some soft music underneath, but that's as far as I got. And I must have gotten sidetracked and forgotten about it because there's like no ad plugs, there's no intros, no nothing. And I had totally forgot about this. And what it was is, from what I can tell listening to the show, is it was recorded sometime last year around May. Um, because and when you listen to this, you'll hear me say something about it being May. And our, the guest is, he was roughly around, he came down to California in May last year, early May. So I think it was actually recorded around my birthday in May. And my birthday is the 8th, so probably like the first week of May is when this was recorded. So the game plan for this episode is I'm going to share it with you folks. Um, like I said, it's 59 minutes, and it's just a really good interview with a good friend of mine. Um, and I guess I should just stop dancing around and tell you who it is. Um, it's with a really good friend of mine. His name is L. Allen Russo Jr. We've been friends for years. And like I said, we got together last year and we did quite a few podcasts, different podcasts. So with that in mind, I'm going to present this to you. And I don't think it's ever been heard. And it's, it's sincerely a real lost treasure because it's, it's good content. So go ahead and sit back and relax and enjoy this lost treasure when I sat down and I talked to my dear good friend, L. Allen Russo. This is David K. Montoya. Well, kids, I have a nice little treat for you this week. Um, if you listen to next week's Scene Red, you'll, you'll get more of it. Um, the gentleman that we have today, our guest, I actually, I, I did the math, and we met in March of 2000 which means I was 22 years old when I met this gentleman. And we have been friends for the last 13 years. Um, I've gotten old, he's gotten old. In fact, when we first met, we didn't even have kids. And uh, we've been through many business ventures together, um, some better than others, but we've always remained friends. And for the first time in... 12 years, I've actually got to see him face-to-face, uh, went and picked him up last night, and just having him around makes me feel really young again, so it's kind of cool. But I'm going to try to keep my enthusiasm down for this show. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome Mr. L. Allen Russo Jr. How's it going, folks? So now, for, like I said, the first time in 12 years, we've actually got to see each other face-to-face, because we've always been talked on the phone, but we've never actually... Yeah, it's been a long time. I mean, you know, it's been crazy. So, what is it like to be back in California? Let's let's jump onto that. It's different. You know, things have changed since I was here last, and, you know, everything's changed. You know, life, our lives have changed, my life's changed. You know, kids, families, and stuff like that, so... It's just weird being back in California for the first time in 12 years. It's, um... Uh, and, and the ironic thing is, folks, is it's May, so you think in springtime, you think in nice 70 degree weather, you know, gentle, cool breeze. No, it is freaking cold outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, back home in Arkansas, it's like 80, 90 degrees. This is ridiculous. So let's let's jump to 
March of 2000, when we first met. And I mentioned this last night, you know, because we did episode 22 of Seeing Red. So if you guys listen to this show and the next week you listen to Seeing Red, um, you're going to hear a little bit of similarity in, in what we talk about. But because it's Russo and I, you know, we can actually have more of an in-depth conversation. A lot of things that I don't talk about is what I've done. You know, mainly I've, I've kept my myself in the forefront as a publisher, as a businessman. But there's actually another side of me, you know, and that's the medical side of me. And before I became a EKG monitor technician, I was just a piddly little CNA. And that's how I made money. And we, and I say we, I mean Lacey and I, my wife, we ended up going out to Arkansas, and I got this job at a nursing home called, what was it called? Hillcrest. Hill, Hill. That's right, Hillcrest. I, I completely had a brain yeah. part on that. And um, so it, the majority of the people there, actually 99.9% of the people there were female. And um, so you being the only other dude, I instantly <laughs> kind of gravitated towards you. Yeah. And we really didn't talk that much. Not until the first night we worked together. And then when we started working together, we started talking movies, started talking writing, and it was just from that point, we've been friends. Yeah. And it was all, um, if you guys don't know what a CNA is, um, what's the best way to describe a CNA? Basically, the best way to, to describe a CNA is a certified ask why preferred. That's, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. pretty much it. Um, it's, it's, it's like an orderly, but we're a step above an orderly as far as in most medical hospitals, training. Yeah, and well, in most hospitals, they're considered a patient care tech. Right. You know, the ones that do your blood pressure and take your temperature and all that BS. But, you know, we were down south in, in Arkansas in a nursing home, so literally all we were doing was just wiping asses. Yeah, literally wiping asses. <laughs> And while it was a very physically demanding, physically grueling, nasty job, to this day, I still say that was one of my favorite jobs. And that was because we made it fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's like, you know, I don't know if you remember the, uh, I can't think of her name. I think her name was Molly in the West Wing. The one that used to have the doll. Yeah. The one that used to throw shit at us every time we walked (laughs) in the room. And uh, it was, it was, it was physically, but you know, the funny thing is, is because now, you know, I work in a hospital and there's more mental, it's a mentally grueling job now. Yeah. There's no, oh, obviously, you know, back then I weighed like 230 pounds. <laughs> now I weigh 280 pounds, you know, there's, that's the big difference. But, um, but it was, it was never, I mean, for some it was grueling, mentally grueling, that, that type of. Yeah, you know, just being around the adults and stuff like that, you know, they they took it mentally, you know, most of it for us was physical. Right. Because mentally, we were not even really thinking, it, it literally became a second nature. We were doing the stuff without even really thinking about it because we, had, we were into a total different conversation. Right, right, right. You know, we talked about, you know, new movies coming out, movies we wanted to see, remakes we didn't like. Yeah. You know, comic books we liked and stuff like that, you know, so we didn't think about the job we just thought it, we were talking about that just did the job and then interesting enough this is we're in the, the proximity of the 13th anniversary of writing the original draft of body back and do you remember 
the details of how that came about? Did, did we did the movie first and then did the Smash comic? Or was it the Smash comic in the movie? I think we did the movie first. I think we did the script first. As a matter of fact, we finished the script for Body Bag on your birthday. Oh, really? Yes, of 2000. I, I forgot about that. It, it was it was either oh either on your birthday or like one or two days after. I don't really remember. I know it was right around this time of that year. And you know we were just sitting around one day bullshitting. We were talking about writing, and you know I told you I wrote movie scripts and stuff like that before, and done a few movies, and just kind of came about. And you said you wrote comics, and we just kind of put the two together and wrote a movie script. Yep. Basically, shit we saw at the nursing home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> things, you know, just things that we thought about at the nursing home. Here's a, a little bit of blast from the past. Do you remember the original name of Body Bag? Do you remember what we were going to call it? Class of 2001. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of tells you. Because if you remember right, the original concept was it was supposed to be about high schoolers. You, no, college. Was it college? It was college. Was it always college? It was always college. Because they had left high school, you know, the original character, had, you know, Jason had left high school and started college in a new town, which wasn't very far from his hometown, because we used SAU there in Magnolia as the concept of the college. Of the college. Yes. And then, you know, Dawn, which is the other original character, the other main character, we used her concept from my past when I moved from Florida to Arkansas. Right. I remember that. You know, because... She was new to town, stuff like that. So, you know, that's where the idea for Dawn came from, was my past, moving to Arkansas for the first time in 96. And, you know, that made it, made her, made writing her character and with the way we did everything easier. Because, you know, we also used your concept of moving from California to Arkansas in 2000. Right. And even back in 97 when you moved out there originally. You know, that's where we come up with the concept of Dawn. Because we both knew how it felt to move to a new town to be and not like know anybody. anybody. Yeah, you know, being from somewhere different, moving to a small town, not knowing anybody, being you know, dressing different, acting different because we're from a bigger city. Right, and it is. It, it, if any of you folks have ever been or you know live in a city and then move to a, a small town, I don't even think a town would be appropriate for Prescott. Just landmass. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's more like a farm town than anything, you know. And uh, I remember when I moved out there originally, people told me, "Slow down, you talk way too fast." Yeah. But you know, being out here in California, and you understand this from being Florida. Yeah. You have to get your thoughts out fast because everything is time oriented. Yep. You don't have the you time. Don't have the, yeah, you don't have the time to you know sit there and think about what you're going to say. You know, if you're going to say it, just say it, get it over with, and move on because you got somewhere else you got to be. And, and, you know, to this day, I, I've co-written with other people, you know, different projects and whatever, worked with other people in writing. To this day, you are still the only person that I've never had a creative difference with when, in writing. Because we, we moved, well, okay, let's, let's focus on Body Back for right now. You know, we wrote Body Back. There was never a creative tussle. No, it would just work. It always flowed. Yeah, because, uh, well, cause, you know, we took each other's ideas and approved upon each other's ideas instead of being like, no, this is the way I want it. You know, if you had an idea, you know, it's like, okay, well, I don't like that particular idea itself, so we'll add this and this and this. And you were like, okay, yeah, that makes it even better, you know, because 
that's the way good writers are. Especially if you're going to write together comic books, movies, anything. Especially Body Bag, you know. We wrote Body Bag in a matter of, what, two weeks? Yeah. You was. know, the original concept of Body Bag, and then we finalized the script over five years. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> you know, adding new, new stuff, taking some stuff out, rearranging a few scenes. Well, because I, I remember when we decided to, to start rewriting the Body Bag, a lot of the things that had to be done is... The dialogue, you know, for me especially, because I'm very dated in my dialogue, I use the dialogue, the terms that are, are modern. Right. So when we got to that point, it was 2006 when we started working on the, the, the rework, the, you know, the, the redraft, I guess you yeah. call it. You know, the terms that were used originally in yeah, 2000, yeah, were different. So that was a lot of, you know, the, the dialogue and the, uh, you know, over the years, I was only 22 years old. So, which is interesting because if you actually sit and read the original draft, you were 20 years old. I was 22 going into 23. That was some strong writing for two young kids, essentially. Right, right. Well, I mean, we mean you both been through a lot in our lives, and you know that came out in our writing. You know, we've been through, you know, moving, marriage, you know, things of that nature. So, I mean, you know, when we, when, we, when we wrote Body Bag, essentially, we took everything we knew about, you know, life and stuff like that, you know, brought, you know, brought our past into it, you know, our love for horror movies. Yes. You know, I mean, I've been watching horror movies since I was three years old, you know, that I can remember, you know, so taking a look back, you know, that was my inspiration, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, the original part of the 13th series Scream played a big role in it well I mean you know Wes Craven yeah especially I mean you know cause I mean Wes Craven is like a phenomenal writer when it comes to horror movies nobody can top Wes Craven I agree you know um, a lot of people might not agree with me but you know that's that's your own fucking fault <laughs> <laughs> truthfully um, you know and that comes out a lot in my writing you know the deep dark nightmarish type things because you know growing up in a big city of Tampa you know, you've seen, you see, you know, murders happen on the street. Real life horror. Yeah, you know, you hear about it every day. You know, um, so that's where a lot of that, and especially in body bag, came into effect because I've seen that on a daily basis. I heard about it every day. You know, people getting shot, people getting stabbed, cops not doing their job, cops getting shot and killed. You right. know, so you you learn and you pick up from that, and so when you write, you get that darkness. You know, like here recently, I've been watching the the TV show Southland. Okay. Yeah. You know, you know, based on the LAPD. Yeah. And you know, I see a lot of truth in the show because I've seen it firsthand in Tampa. Right. You know, so I can relate. So when I, you know, when I originally wrote Body Bag, that's where I got most of my ideas. You know, and then a lot of the scenes came from just around town. Yeah. The old church, the old cemeteries, and things of that nature. Well, if I remember correctly, before we even started writing the script, didn't we, like, okay, this is, these are the buildings that we want to shoot at. Wasn't that kind of the concept? Or we, we, well, well, we kind of saw, you know, well, when we first wrote Body Bag, we'd seen a few buildings, like, okay, that would be, because we were already in the process of trying to figure out how we wanted to do our scenes. Right. You know, we'd already figured out our characters, we figured out, you know, what kind of scenes we wanted to do, and then 
as we were driving around town one day, you know, at the old hospital, right. the old church, and stuff like that, then we were, then that's when we actually started writing the script itself, because that's where we came up with the idea of how to write the script, because we knew exactly what we wanted to use, right? Scene-wise, so we knew how to write the script because we knew how the location was already going to look, so we could write the script from the scene. That's right. You right. know. Because it was like when we did the old hospital scene, when we wrote it, you know... That's still the best scene yeah, at all. it is. It, you know, we drove by that old hospital every day because it was right next to work. Right. So we knew right from the get-go exactly how they were going to go in, what door they were going to go in, and everything else because we looked at the building every day. Yeah, we literally inspected it. Yeah, you know. And that was, that was one of the fun things about writing Body Bag is we could actually pick the locations there in Arkansas. Right. You know, we knew what locations we wanted. We knew what we were looking for. And when we wrote the opening scene, actually, you wrote the opening scene with the priest. Yes, yes. And that was your that was your baby. You know, and you got that inspiration from the Old Methodist Church three blocks down the road from the nursing home. Yes, yes. You know, and that's why when you wrote it, you come to me with it. And I was like, man, that's just perfect. Because I was thinking the same thing when you mentioned the priest. I was the first thought that came to my mind was that Methodist church. And if you you would have to go, uh, can people Google it? I mean, can they Google a picture of like Methodist church in Prescott, Arkansas? They should. I mean, you know, I because I know uh, Google Google Maps was there in Hope uh, probably about a month and a half ago, updating the you know oh, updating really? everything for Google Earth. So it's the United Methodist Church, yeah. right? I believe it's the United Methodist Church. It might be the Presbyterian Church. It's one of the two. Well, try one of those two, and it's we we pronounce it as Prescott, but it's actually spelled Prescott, P-R-E-S-C-O-T-T, Arkansas. And you can get an aerial view. This thing, it just it would have been. And I believe the road is on West Second. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, it's on Second Street. It's it's a huge. Yeah. For my my memory was a huge. Oh uh, yeah, it's a huge church. I mean, you know, it's the old fashioned. You know, it looks like it actually looks like a Catholic church. Right. Not really, you know, a Christian. Yeah. It looks more, you know, Catholic than it does Methodist, which is unbelievable to my, you know. Right. You know, for that area. One of the things also is since we're talking about writing the script, one of the things that I absolutely loved about writing the script, the original script, was we knew who the killer was. And yet, we knew who it was. Right. And I remember? Yeah. And it was you, I think, who came up with the idea, well, well, let's let's write, direct the script this way to make it look like this character was the killer. Right. And just when you think the killer, you figured it out, we purposely started putting clues towards the other person. So it was like a zigzag all the way through right, until right. the very end you find out who the killer is. Right, because we you know, we, we pointed out three different people as a killer. Right. And then, you know, we zigzagged one, you know, making you think, okay, well this is the killer and then you get about halfway through the movie and then you're like, no, this one's the killer and then you get a little bit further in, right before you get the climax of the movie and it's like, Oh shit, no, it's he's the killer. You know, it's like then we turn it in another direction, and then you make them think, you know, it was all three. Right. You I'm know, gonna... until you finally get to the final end, and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and a lot of, and actually, nobody knows this, uh, other than you and I, because I've never talked about this. It was originally supposed to be the first of a trilogy. Yes. You remember that? Yes. And 
by the end, uh, okay, because the first one was Body Bag, single. Yeah. Then Body Bags, which is plural, and Body Bag, which was supposed to sum everything up. Right. And by the end of the third one, Body Bag, you found, because you realize that the other two, you don't even realize, we've, we were putting little bits and pieces, and just because you think we got to the end of the story and we concluded the story that that was the actual conclusion. Right. And by the end of the third one, when we real revealed who the real figure was, who the real killer was, yeah. people were like, oh shit. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. You know, but, you know, we kind of scrapped, you know, body bags and body bags because a simple fact, we started getting goofy with Right, yeah. You know, they started getting a little goofy and a little out there. And well, we're because, like, you know, we'll scrub it. In, in the original, it was you and I, we did the, uh, the Vopdor and Stoner. Right. Remember, we did that scene. And, um, they get killed in the very first one. Right. But then, remember, in the second one, they, was it the second one or the third one, they come back as ghosts. Remember? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was the second one that we were gonna do that in. And that's actually where we came up with the idea for Whorehouse Horrors. When we did that one, if you don't remember that. Because we had the Whorehouse in the second one. Yes, yes. And so we turned around and actually took the script and did Whorehouse Horrors. Instead of doing Body Bag, or Body Bags, like we were planning on, we took the same script, took out the Stoner and Vato Ghost thing, and wrote Whorehouse Horrors. Because everything was there that we needed. Right. Because we decided, you know, that's the trilogy wasn't going to work if we wanted to do what we wanted to do. Right. Because we just wanted that little bit of comic relief, I guess you would, the way you would put it. Yeah. yeah in, all th- in all three. And that's why we co- created the stoner and the Vato. And, you know, but by the time we got to the second script, it's like, okay, this isn't going to work. No. You know, it's too, com- you know, too much com- comedy for a horror film. Right. It was, it was just kind of it took away it took away from the basis of the story because this, that scene was just too long. Now the interesting thing though was the original Stoner and Bobbles scene and, and uh, Body Bag worked. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason why I think the reason why it didn't work is for the simple fact of the way we set it up. You know, because he, his car breaks down, he walks through the woods, you know, and then there they are sitting at a campfire. Yeah. So you're thinking, okay, you know, Jason's going to walk up any minute. You know, see these two stoners sitting there bullshitting. <laughs> right. You know. Smoking and, weed. Yeah, smoking <laughs> weed, bullshitting. You know, you see the tent in the background, stuff like that. You know, you can tell they were homeless. Right. You know, but they were potheads. You know, so. And that's what you, and that's, we, when we set it up like that, you know, that's what you were expecting. Was Jason to walk up. And then here comes the figure. And you know, and that's the funny thing is, is there is a lot of like weed reference and pot humor in there. Oh yeah. But but in reality, we are not potheads. <laughs> Have not been in years. And and even at that point, when we were that young, right? You know, it, it was it was not well, especially in Prescott, Arkansas. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, even though weed was rampant in that area, you know, you could get it anywhere. But still, we weren't potheads. You know, we just that's the way we joked around because we were around potheads most of our lives. Right. So, you know, we knew what we were getting into. So then after we did Body Bag, uh, and, you know, that was 
that was it was fun. You know, it was, it was just something that if I ever given an opportunity, I mean, I know now things are different, but ever given an opportunity to try to do something like that again, because you know, you were in Florida at the time, and you know, I was here in California, and I, I had actually started pre-production on right, you know, the the remake, and that just fell to hell. And that's something that I would love to do. In fact, one it, one of these days, I'll have to show you pictures. Instead of doing it in Arkansas, right? Um, I even thought about doing it out in Ely, Nevada, which is more of a mining town. Yeah. And to me, it, it's more desolate than Prescott. Right. Well, I mean, the reason why we use Prescott is that's where we're living. That's, where we're, <laughs> yeah, that's where we're at. But, I mean, you know, at the same time, it was the we were looking for the small town setting. Right. You know, not nothing really desolate, just a small town out in the middle of nowhere, you know, where crime doesn't happen. Right. You know, and that's what Prescott, and even the Hope area and Bodcaw and stuff like that, just that area in general, crime didn't happen. No, not not then. You know, you remember, not, nothing like that anyway. Do you remember doing the the disemboweled scene? Remember when we were talking about how we were trying to figure out how to you know, because characters are being disemboweled. Right. Remember, remember how you came up with the yeah, idea? Yeah, I come up actually come up with the idea after watching um Last House the original Last House on the Left by Wes Craven. You know, and I went through and I'd watched it and then I, you know, on D V D and they had the special features telling how he did it in the movie, which was nothing but peanut butter and jelly and condoms. Yeah. And I was like, Ooh. And big blood. Yeah, and <laughs> actually, no, that's what the jelly was. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah, it was jelly. It was just grape jelly. Grape and strawberry jelly. Mixed together. Yeah, I'll and with there. peanut butter. and that So it made it look like, you know, an intestine. And he used a little bit of fake blood on the outside and stuff like that, because that's where the blood in my hands came from. But, you know, that's where I came up with the idea because I'm like... That's ingenious, yeah. Yeah, because that was going to be our biggest problem was how to disembowel somebody and make it look real. Right. And that was as real as we could get. Especially on a shoestring budget. Right. You know, and even though the original Last House and Left was a little grainy, that's the way I wanted to shoot Body Bag was that grainy 70s, early 80s feel. Right. You know, incidentally, you know that was just shot right up the road. Right. Last house. I mean, yeah. up here. Yeah. Just shot yeah, I knew it was shot up here, you know, and that's, you know, because that was a thing that interested me when I watched the original. You know, I've seen the remake, and it's not bad. I mean, truthfully, you know, Wes Craven's got a better mind. You know, they there are some things that I would have changed on the remake, but all in all, it was a good remake. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um... But, you know, Wes Craven had that mind where, you know, he was, you know, he has a sickening mind. Right. And, you know, that's the way I like, that's the way I always wanted to write, was with that sick, twisted thought. And now, a word from our sponsors. Before 1971, a young S. Sadie Burbank could only imagine a simple American life as a loving wife and mother. That was her goal when she first married in 1959 at the age of 18, but with the wild social revolution of the 1960s, Burbank's idea of a perfect life would quickly change as she left behind her family to begin a new existence of her own. Her journey would find her on a plane headed toward her new lover, Steve, who was halfway across the world, waiting her arrival in a small bush camp in the country of Liberia. 
Once there, Sadie is greeted with a fascinating strange world and plunges herself into the exotic land of the bush. But less than six months later, Sadie would realize all was not as it seemed, and Steve was not the man she fell in love with. Burbank found herself desperately seeking escape from the camp and her lover as she raced back to Roberts Field Airport, literally running for her life. Based on an unbelievably true story by S. Sadie Burbank, Red Hills, Green Vines, and Dried Monkey Meat for Dinner is a manuscript of Burbank's adventurous and deadly experience during a time filled with sex, drugs, and murder. Now available in paperback and hardback. For more information, log into www.redhills.us. Are you looking for a new book, comic, or apparel from your favorite MythWorks or independent creators? Then you're in the right place. Introducing the all-new redesigned MythMart store. Now bigger, badder, better. Sign up and become a member and receive 10 to 50% off on selected items. Get the all-new Terry D. Shearer's Bloody Hell t-shirt, or non-members can pick up one of our e-books for only $4.95. Or go into the past and relive the 90s with MythWorks Comics Classics for $3.99. The new MythMart. Bigger, badder, better. Visit MythMart at www.mythworks.com slash MythMart. Or find us on Facebook for extra savings. Do you own a business or have an item you want to sling? Do you want a chance to reach potential customers? Do you want to make some extra cash? Then here's your chance. For $50, you can have a one to two minute commercial featured on each of our shows for an entire month. With six shows a week, that's only $2.09 per podcast. Plus, for an extra 10 bucks, your item will be placed into MythMart. So sit back and relax as they handle all stages of transactions. Contact our ad department at info at jazelmon.com. Do you want to talk about the Tyrius project? Are you okay to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that was just a, you know, a project that, it was a good idea. You know, the co-creators, you know, things fell through with them, you know, but that, to me, I was upset that the project fell through. I mean, I really wish the project would have continued because it was a very good story. And we had investors this time. Yeah. I mean, it was a very good story. I mean, now there was a few things that were going to be tricky, you know, film-wise. Right. And we knew that. But, you know, when... The writer, you know, and the story creators, stuff like that. We had our creative differences, I guess you would say. Right. You know, they want to do it their particular way. I knew how to write a script. They had no clue how to do any of this stuff, and so they didn't want to listen. Right. And so, you know, the creative, the creativeness kind of fell apart. And that was, and it was fun to to write the script because remember you called me and, and I was actually doing the screenplay. Right. And that was some fun time for me, I have to admit. You know, I was getting up early in the morning, taking Jay to school, stopped by, got a 
big ass monster sit there, drink my monster, smoke my cigarette, you know, type away right. the script. And um, do you remember I called and I I said I, I'm not going to use the chick's name, but there was a chick involved. You yeah, know, and the writing, well, the the creative team, the yeah. three of you, they came up with the story. There was a chick involved, and I called and I said the chick wrote this this part of the scene. Do you remember me saying that? Yeah. And you're like, well, how do you know? And I'm like, because a dude would never say that. Yeah. And so, I mean, there were some things that I had to... It was completely different because you and I, we, we've always had an ability to kind of run off of each other. Right. You know, I can we, throw you an idea and you, you can take off with it from there. But with some points, it was, it was different. It was, yeah. you know, it just... I mean, it was a good project. I, I yeah, it, it was. The, the, I think the biggest problem with that project was, you know, it wasn't my idea. So, you know, when I threw, when I when I sent the project over to you for the screenplay, you know, you were always constantly calling me. It's like, well, you know, what are y'all talking about? You know, how do we figure this out? And I was like, well, you know, well, well, let me relook at the script. You know, let me call you back and I'll figure it out from there. And you know, without my input, I think the script would have been shit. I agree. You know, and, you know, because just the simple fact that the script itself was a good script, it had a lot of holes. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what that's what you and I were doing. Was filling the gap. Trying to fill in. Yeah. Right. And, you know, a lot of the idea for Typhus actually came from Stephen King's book, It. Yeah, I kind of felt that. You know, um... But it also come from where I grew up too, because the opening scene back out the pit, you know, in the drainage ditch and stuff like that, we, there was actually one by my house. Oh, was there? Yes. In Fort Walton or? No, down in Tampa. Oh, okay. And, you know, where, where we all grew up, you know, me and the other guy at the project grew yeah. up, you know, it was actually maybe a quarter mile from my house, but right behind his where he was living. But since I hung out in that area a lot, you know, I knew the area pretty well. And so that drainage ditch, you know, we knew where it was at. We knew what it looked like. And that's where the idea of the opening came in. Right. You know, because there was, for a time, a homeless guy actually living down there. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's where the idea of using the homeless guy came into play. Because, I mean, you know, you got a big drainage ditch, things like that. But also, too, the layer, his layer actually came from the idea from I believe part of it was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles really? yeah you know because they had their their sewage layer oh okay yeah yeah yeah. you know I'm a big geek at heart you know so and then the other part was from I believe let me see I believe it was um Return of the Living Dead part 3 is that the that's not which one that's the one with the chick on the back of the motorcycle when she gets killed and the boyfriend his dad works for the army and oh yeah 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 he yeah, yeah. her back and yeah. she does all the piercings to try to keep from eating people right right I remember that and you know she stayed in that like underground lair because that's where she met the homeless guy and she ate him right you know that's where part of it came from too you know just bits and pieces and then even part of it came from uh, Return of the Living Dead Part 2 because in that one you know, that's where the drum fell at the beginning of the movie was in that mm-hmm. drainage yes. ditch. So, <coughs> you know, my ideas come from different movies. Right. And, you know, if I can take, you know, and the good thing is if I can take 
the best scenes, or even the worst scenes, of six different movies and write it into one script and rewrite the, you know, take make it a new story. Yeah, make it the whole thing a new story and take out the crap. Right. You know, that's the big thing. If you're going to write a script or even a story and you're getting your idea from somebody else, take out the crap, add your own good, you know, add what you think should be there. I mean, I'm not saying plagiarize if you're going to write a story, you know, but... Well, no, taking taking elements from another story is not plagiarism. Taking a piece of the script... Right. And putting it, that's plagiarism. Right. You know, you know, especially script writing, you know, if you if you see a movie and you, you want to write a script and you see this movie and you're like, that would be awesome. Okay. Put that in your script. Right. Absolutely. But don't use it the way they did in the movie or even the book. Make it your own. Yeah, make it your own. Make a few changes. You know, because even... And another thing with the Typhus project, too, was the layer. A part of that came from Wes Craven's idea. Right. You know, of Nightmare on Elm Street. Because he had the boiler room. The boiler room, yes. So, I mean, you know, that, to me, taking all those ideas and changing them and making them one right is even from it you know because it where they do they went down in the sewers to find him right he had his own little lair so you know all those concepts together you know we took them we rewrote them and made a combined effort to change everything from the get go because I remember you called me and you shot me the idea you know and uh, that's when I, I decided to to be a producer you know, on the project. Right. Um, you shot me the idea, and I was like, oh, wow. Well, number one, I was just excited at the fact that after all those years that you had decided that you're going to make another movie, some body bag, you know. And the, the story I thought was solid. And I, unfortunately for you, and I, I mean, I knew you were handling it pretty well, but I could hear, you know, the tension in your voice, for example, you know, because every single day, like you mentioned, I called you, and we were going to tackle right. a scene. And I, I called you, and I was like, okay, opening scene, are we, we, we doing it in a five wide, are we doing it in a three medium? You know, they had no clue what the hell I was talking about. Right. But you knew, because you've been there. Right. So you had to put in a little bit more extra input, and at the same time try to explain it to your creative team, and I could tell it was, it was starting to really bother you. Yeah, it was, because, I mean, you know, they, they weren't wanting to listen to my side of everything, because I knew everything from, you know, from one to you know, three medium, five wide, you know, 35 millimeter, if you even thought about going that route, you know, because, um, you know, I wanted the grainy feel for Typhus, but not the old school 60s, 70s grainy, but, Right, not, you know, not running on Super 8. <laughs> right, right, you know, not the Super 8, but, you know, just a little, just enough grit to make it darker, you know, not enough grit to make it look like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where it looked like, you know, somebody shot it with a handicap. Right. <laughs> so. Have you seen the new, not, not to change the subject, but have you seen the new red cameras? No, I have not. Oh my god, the handbasket, man. It is all pure digital. It's, um, it's, it's higher than HD. I, I can't remember what the specs were. Yeah. But the specs were, like, ridiculously, I, I think just a red one was like $14,000 just to rent one in a month period. That's ridiculous. Um, 
have you seen Kevin Smith's Red State yet? Yes. Okay, he he shot that on a, a super no, is it super red or a red? He neither. He I think he shot it on a red because you have a red and then you have the, the right. premium is the super red. He shot that. You notice how the the picture just had that more clear cut yeah. crisp look to it? That's because he shot it on the, the red camera. Oh my god! I wish I wish I could get my hands on one of those. Oh yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. You know, especially I think that would be good for body bag because you know there are certain scenes in body bag that dark. Yes. You know, and the crisper you have it, and the dark scenes, the better it is, because you can see everything. You can make it out better. Right. You know, it's like some of the new movies now, you know, you get to a dark scene, and you can't see nothing. Unless you're in a pitch black room with your TV on, and even then you still can't see it. Well, best case scenario is i seen the remake of uh, Evil Dead. I watched it. You haven't seen it yet? Not yet. Um, you know, because I have my, my laptop and I, I what we call it here and you know what I'm talking about we have the Oscars cut yeah you know the, the Oscars edition that we get sent in the mail and uh, I hooked my lap up t- to my HDMI on my big screen and I watched it and a lot of it is dark yeah and I'm like I'm literally almost standing up to the TV trying to make out what it's, it's you know because I couldn't make out what it was the they were portraying on the screen because it was so dark. Yeah. Now, if they would have shot it with a red, it would have been a lot better. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, that, and that's the thing about, you know, writing or shooting a movie, you know, if, if it's too dark, you're going to lose your audience. You know, that that's, that's plain and simple. Right. But, you know, if you shoot it in a medium darkness where you can actually make things out and see everything. They have, like, low, low up. Yeah, reflection. Just, yeah, just low up reflection or low down reflection, either one. You know, then, you know, if you can actually make out what they look like and things of that nature, even on HD, you know, it makes them, you don't lose your audience. Because by, by the time you get to a dark scene in the movie, especially if like half your movie's dark. Right. Or even a quarter of your movie's dark. By the time you get to that dark scene, somewhere in the middle, even if it's in the middle, you're gonna lose your audience. So, are you kind of where I'm at as far as being like the CEO of a company and you're just kind of burnt out on it? Or or is there still more in you that you want to do to make the movie? What what What's still, what's there for you? What's what's the road ahead? Well, the, the thing is, I want to continue, but at the same time, you know, life has got me going other places. Right. You know, so, as it stands right now, I'm going to put a, I'm putting a hiatus, put a hiatus on everything. Well, that's... What, since 11, 2000, 2011? Yeah, 2011. You know, after the whole Typhus incident. You know, I put a hold on everything because, you know, I was very upset with the way it all turned out and stuff like that. So, I figured I'm going to go ahead and put a hold on it. Get back to just publishing books for right now. With so, zombie works. you're just going to focus on zombie works? I'm going to focus on zombie works for now. And, you know kind of throw my own stories out there from time to time you know with zombie works through the anthologies and things like things of that nature so you're going to stick with anthologies um for now um now things might change you know we you know if people want to submit a book for editing you know that's that's great you right know? um that's their choice you know um short stories they're easier faster to put together oh yes absolutely. you know they're real quick to put together, real easy to do. You know, it takes 10 minutes to read through a 15-page story. 
you know, and then you can do your editing from there, and then boom, you're done. Because you can go to the next short story. When you hired me to do the the vampire anthology, the the uh, you can't kill me, I'm already dead anthology. Yeah. When you hired me to do that, it was really easy for me to get because you you gave me all the stories. And I was able to go through because you had already edited everything. And I was able to get it formatted fairly quickly. And so I understand what you mean about with the short stories because it's, it's not like going through a novel because when you go through a novel, you have to make sure there's no holes in this in gigantic story that's being told. Right. But in a short story, there's typically, there's not that many holes. And, and if there was, it'd just be rejected. Right. Well, typically with a short story too, you know, there's not going to be a big hole, a big gaping hole or gap in the story because it's only 15, maybe 20 pages. Right. You know, so, I mean, something that, that short, why would you jump from, you know, a massive, you know, I'm just going to say a massive scene, you know, climax of the story and then jump to something like, you know, like, what the hell? Right. You know, that would be stupid. Because with a short story, you know, it's quick, it's simple. You know, most people, especially for me, it takes me about 20 to 30 minutes to write a good short story. If the idea is there. Sometimes I get writer's block and it might take me a couple weeks. But, you know, 15-page story is just that, a story. Right. You know, you figure your beginning, you figure your end, and then you write it from there. Because the rest of the story is going to come to you. If you know how you want to start your story, if you, even if you know how to just finish your story, then you know where to, then you can figure out where to start and because you already know how it's going to end right you know um, because once you figure out your ending everything else just falls into place because then you can then you know how to start from the beginning go to the end because you know how it's going to end you know if it winds up you start out with a 15 page story you want to write about 10-15 pages and you wind up with a 25 page story that's fine yeah you know you can always go back through later and cut the bullshit Oh yeah, that's that's the thing. It's, you can always go back, cut it, or add more. Right, and that's the good thing about short stories is you can, you know, once you, once you're done, like I said, it takes 15, 20 minutes to read, hour depending on your situation. Edit it. You're like, okay, well, no, I don't like this. I don't like that. You go through, you change a few things, reread it, do another draft, and you know you can revise it as many times as you want to. And it don't take long to do a revision. Right. Because it don't take long to read. Read, right. You know, you do a 300, 400 page novel, it could take you a week to read it. And, you know, but then you gotta dissect chapter by chapter. And then once you dissect each chapter, then you gotta go back and read the whole thing from beginning to end to make sure there's no holes. Even though you've already done each chapter, there might be a, a gap between chapter one and chapter two. Well, that's one thing I respect about you is the fact that, um, you do all your editing. Now, me, I go and I hired editors because by the time I read that motherfucker like three times, I'm like, forget it. I'm yeah. done. I don't want to read it no more. Right. So I, I respect the fact that you do all your editing. And I know it's, it's a heavy task. So you're going to continue to work solely on publishing. Yeah. Now, now, how's that been for you? Because you actually just read the CNN article about me. Right. And, and when I, I'm going to let you listen to the, I actually, after I read it and I started getting, re, you know, responses from my friends and family and stuff, 
Oh, I was I was being a little emo bitch, man. I, I was just like, oh, yeah, people me. You know? And and I think even though I'm still moving forward, you know, uh, we we're coming out with the new book, and you know we're coming out with the uh, MythWorks book right. this year. We're still coming out with new stuff from MythWorks, but as far as us bringing in new writers like we had done in the last ten years, that's not happening. Right. Well, I mean, you but know, that's what you're looking for. You want new. Writers yeah, I want the writers because you know I'm, I'm wanting Zombie Works to take off. You know, and you know without without the writers, I really don't have a company. You right. know, I have nothing to publish without the writers. Right. You know, I pref- like I said, you know, I prefer putting the anthologies together, short stories. You know, the longer sto- you know, the longer novels, stuff like that. I don't mind. They just take forever to do. Especially when I do everything myself. I don't outsource anything. You know, and that's the only problem about long novels is, you know, I'm doing my short stories and trying to put my anthologies out while I'm trying to edit this novel. Right. So it makes it harder to edit a novel. But I'm looking to do novels. You know, eventually get there. Yeah, I'm eventually going to get there. I mean, once I get to the novels, you know, I might outsource my novels. Now... Monsterthology was your first one. Mm-hmm. And then you did the Vampire Anthology. Right. What's what's number three? I'm not sure. Um, you know, most of these, you know, most of the old monsters are pretty outdated. Right. You know, I mean, if you're not writing about werewolves, vampires, or things of that nature, you know, there's no really good monster anthology out there, you know. Um, I'm thinking about doing werewolf stories. Next, um, you know, because everything right now, especially to me, Twilight's gay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's, a, it's it's a gay vampire, gay <laughs> werewolf story. You know, I mean, it, truthfully, you know, when you look at the vampires in Twilight, it's like, okay, that's just fucking gay. It is. The storyline would have been would have been better if it wasn't for the glittery fucking vampires. I mean, don't and get they me have wrong. They yeah, they have things. That don't, was my big right. You know, don't get me wrong. The storyline itself was good for what it, it was. For yeah. what it was, but you know, if it would have been just you know if, anything, you know, if he would have been you know just some guy that you know just a family that knew how to live forever and they weren't vampires, you know, it'd be a, it would have been a good love story, right? But, you know, it's the glittery vampire that got <laughs> you know, and a werewolf that wasn't me. You know, I mean, come on. Right. You know, that takes away from everything we know about classic You know, Bram Stoker, you know, Bela Lugosi and stuff like that. You know, they made... No, that's funny you say that, because that was actually one of my favorite stories in the Monsterthology, was Sarah St. John's Bela, uh, Bela Lugosi story. Yeah. The, I... I that was actually a really good story. I mean, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, you know, like I said, my next project might be werewolves. It might be zombies. You know, you know, I got a big fascination with zombies and the zombie apocalypse. Right. So, I, I think that's another thing that we have in common. You yeah. Know, because, uh, you know, I'm a big, huge fan of George A. Romero. Right. And John Russo. I mean, come on. John Russo. Russo, yeah. yeah. Come on. I mean, you know, a zombie movie's a zombie movie. I mean, there's some there's some crap ones out there. I remember when you started with uh, Zombie Works, there was uh, some confusion originally that you were Johnny. Right, right, right. Russo. Right. You know, there was that big confusion because that's, you know, 
somehow I'm related to him. I don't know how, if I, even if I am. You know, and that was the big confusion, because, you know, they're, they associated zombie Zom- works with Return of the Living Dead, right. the original Night of the Living Dead, you know, and stuff like that. So, you know, they're thinking, oh, well, zombie works. You wrote zombie movies. Right, know? right. They put the two connect, they put the connection together, but what they did, what they failed to realize was his name is John A. Russo. I'm L. Alan Russo. Right. You know, and they, that's where they did, didn't make the connection. Now, are you still doing the L. Alan Russo? Because I know that you originally, and, and I, I have to admit, this is my fault, <laughs> because originally you just wanted to be Alan Russo. Yeah. And I, I've always made that identifier. You know, with my sister, when I put her out in publication, I put that C, Rebecca C. Lofgren, you know, just right. just because if you put in Rebecca Lofgren, you'll pull up many people, but if you put in Rebecca C. Lofgren, right, you get her. Same thing with me, David K. Montoya. Yeah. And then with you, because I know you by your middle name, which is Alan. Right. And then, so instead of putting the middle initial, since you use your middle name, I put your first name initial. Right. It actually works out better that way business-wise. Because then, you know, you can keep your business separate from your personal life. You know, because without that first initial, you know, everybody's like, oh, so you're that guy. Right. You know, you know. Especially, like, when we wrote Body Bag. You know, when a lot of people read it, said, hey, it's a good script, blah, 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 even Smash. You know, we put the L in front. Right. I'm getting the Smash, though. Yeah. You know, we put the L in front <clears throat> just for the simple fact that, you know, if somebody read it and didn't like it, you know, we could have been talking about any anybody else named Alan Ru- L. Alan Russo. Right. It didn't have to be you. It didn't have to be me. You know, so, and that's why... I, I can. That's why I like that. Was it aspect? Was it originally? Correct me if I'm wrong, but when we wrote, was Body Bag or Smash? Before the L. Alan Russo it was L. A. Russo, wasn't it? Yeah, L. A. Russo yeah, Jr. We, yeah, was we your, the, yeah, we put the L. A. instead of that was so nobody would associate. You know, they would just look at the L. A. and the last name. Nobody would, yeah. would think about it, but you know, it didn't work. It just didn't click. And then you because know, people were thinking, L. A. Yeah. And then you know, and, yeah, <laughs> and then you know we turned. Then we then we originally after that we changed it to uh, AJ Russo and left off the junior. Right. And that didn't work either. You know, um, just didn't click. Didn't sound right. You know, and you know how I am. You know, right. I, if I'm going to be out there, I want people to know who I am. Right. And that that's the that's the whole basis of, of changing your name or of modifying your name. Right. Just because. If you type in L. Allen Russo Jr., it's you, brother. You know, yeah. there's nobody else out there. It's, right. It's you. Right. And that that's what I like because, you know, if you look me up on the internet, on Google, and type in L. Allen Russo, that's what you're going to get. You know, you're not going to get a million different people. Right. I mean, granted, you know, Google, they're going to take the first letter and they're going to do all that crap. Yeah, you're, they're just going to pop up some web pages from some guy named, you know... Larry Russo or, right. you know, Lorraine Russo or whatever, you know, you get some goofball crap. But on the flip side, you know, 90% of the time you type in my name in Google, I pop up. Right. So here's a thought because, you know, we, we haven't even touched about the new blood and what happened with, you know, how because of the investing you end up losing it and, and all that good stuff. 
Yeah, so if you were to ever come out with a movie, would you actually go back and try to repurchase New Blood, or would you go with Zombie Work Films? Um, probably I'd wind up going with Zombie Works Films. I mean, because to me, after losing New Blood, it's, it's in the past now. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much dead. You know, a lot of people got upset when my investors pulled out and I lost the company and I had to sell it. A lot of people got pissed. And, you know, so, and they they told me several times, like, well, if you want to start another company, we're behind you, but we're not going to do it under the name of New Blood. Just because of that poor rap? Yeah, because they don't want to get their name associated with that poor image, right. which wasn't my fault. You know, it was basically, I guess the way it worked out was, you know, I did some invest, you know, had some investors come in. You know, it's mainly the whole Pythias project. Yeah. Fell apart. Investors pulled out, got pissed off. And you know, and to be honest with you, I have to say that I do feel bad about that because I was the one that introduced you to Angel. Right. You know, Angel got paid back, you know, so, you know, I, I paid my, back my investors, but the problem was now with that bad omen over New Blood, you know, I don't want to go back to that. Right. I mean, you know, New Blood, it was a good run. We had a lot of fun, but... Well, I'm looking forward to the New Blood Films book that's coming out, The Rise and Fall of New Blood Films, oh, right? Yeah, is, yeah. That, is that still the working title? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, unless things change, but, you know, we're still going to work on that. And that was so everybody knows the full detail from beginning to end on how everything started, how everything ended up, you know, the bad, the bad calls I've made, bad investments that I've done. The good investments that I've that I've come up. But with. I was gonna say, but that you know, in retrospect, if you really sit and think about it, that's business. Oh yeah, that's business, brother. I've made plenty of bad investments. Let me tell you oh, right yeah. now. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, there's times that you know somebody come up to me with a script and be like, "Hey, you know, I got this good script and I read it. I'm like, dude, this is shit." You know, and get a lot of bad press. Right. But you know, that's not what I was looking for at the time. You know, when. I was any anytime I was presented with a script, I'm looking for quality, not quantity. Right. Anybody can write a script that's got a lot of bullshit. And that's where it ends, kids. Uh, what a good, really good bit to end on, though. You know, talking about, you know, the way he does business as a CEO. Um, really good insight. You know, from the past. You know, we talked about us working as CNAs in Arkansas, making you know, hardly anything per hour that led into writing a movie script and body bag and making the body bag movie. And, and then we talked a little bit about the Typhus movie and and everything else that we've talked about. It was just really solid material. And I, I hope you guys enjoyed it because I forgot about it. I forgot about the interview and I just, I sit and listen to it. This is the second time I've listened to it, and I just really enjoy it. In fact, I, I wish that I had an opportunity to sit with Russo one more time, and, and we could just bullshit about whatever one more time, because that was really fun listening to it. Because, like I said, I, I totally forgot about this podcast. So, that's it for this week, kids. Um, come back next week. Rebecca and Aaron will be back. Like I said, tomorrow we're actually going to be recording the episode, but I found this and I wanted to share it with you, the scene, Red listeners, and I, I hope that you appreciate it as much as I think you are. Um, 
But like I said, next week, the kids are back, and we're going to get back into the craziness, the geekiness, and everything that you know that would be seen red. So for this week, I am David K. Montoya. And if you're just one of those type of people, you know, they're out there. You know, they're just like, I, I don't like deviations from the show. I want to keep things the same. You're not that funny, you fat ass. You know, those type of people, then you might be seeing red. I'll see you next week. Take care, kids. Bye-bye. Welcome to Seeing Red. Say we didn't warn you.